Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let me ask you a question. It's a simple one, but it's one that it answers so many of the questions in our life. How many of you believe that God actually has a plan for your life? I'm going to say that again, because that's really important. Because there's some people that actually believe that, that you're born, and just because, it, you know, the, the, the lie of evolution, the lie of evolution, the lie of evolution, okay? The lie of evolution is that somehow a random explosion took place, and from that came a, a series of cosmic and chemical interactions that ultimately produced the first living cell that ultimately produced all of the other living things that came out of that. I love to ask intelligent people the first question, where did the first living cell come from? Because until you can answer that question, how in the world you can, tell me, can you tell me anything else? You know, evolution, my simple translation of evolution is from goo to you by way of the zoo. Some of y'all remember my poem I taught Wesley, my son who's with the Lord, about, he was trying to get me to explain evolution, and I said, here it is. First it was amoeba beginning to begin, and then it was a tadpole with his tail tucked in, and then it was a monkey swinging through a tree, and now he's my professor with a PhD. Yeah. So the lie of evolution is everything happened by chance, so so did you. So did you. Does God have a plan for your life? Does he have a person for you to spend your life with? A H-E-L-L-P mate, not an H-E-L-L mate or a C-E-L-L mate. Does God? What's the answer to that question? I know, but some of you are going, but pastor, I, I, I've, been, I've been divorced. You, I mean, you, you, you mean, you know, you're asking me that question and I've, okay. Do you think that God knew in advance what your life was going to be and that you were going to get divorced and that he still had a plan to work out what's bad for your good? You say, pastor, how can you say that? Because the Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. Let me tell you what that means. That before God ever created you and me, he knew we would sin, so he created a pathway of relationship with God in spite of our sin. Why is that so important? Because some of you believe that you made one mad, wrong decision in your life, and because you made that decision, everything else, from that point on, you're off the path, you're off the plan, and no matter what you did, you can never get back to it. That's not true. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know, and I'm going to remind you, the guy that said that started off as a Jewish scholar, then became a Christian after killing Christians, then had to go back and preach to the people he used to kill. That's me preaching to people who I used to persecute in prison and kill of your relatives that are here. And he could look back at his life and he could write this, and we know that all things work together for the good to those who and are called according to his purposes. So if you love God, how many of you love God? Then God is taking everything, even the mistakes of your life, and he's working them for God. I, I, wanna, I want you to get that. Because I think some of us started off running to win the race, and when we fell so many times along the way, we just stopped and said, look, I don't care about winning the race. I just want to cross the finish line some kind of way. So does God have a plan for our life? One of the benefits of being over 40 is you're able to look back over the course of your life and see what some people call coincidence, luck, or happenstance, and actually see the hand of God. 
A guy told me, I love to quote this in Texas one time, he looked at me and he said, you know, pastor, I see God a whole lot more looking behind me than I do looking in front of me. What is he saying? He's saying what I thought was chance, happenstance, or an accident. I now can look back and see the hand of God. You know, God's stories are always the best. They just take time. God's stories are always the best. They just take time. When I met Michelle, she was 12 years old. No, I'm not a child predator. I was, I was 19. She was about to be 13. Okay, there's a five and a half year difference between us. Well, actually five years and a month. Do you know that when I met her and she was a little tomboy wearing painter pants and pigtails, that God knew she was my wife even though I didn't? And that God knew when my pastor said to me, when I'm in the barrio of Houston with all my other Mexican relatives, and that's true. And, and my pastor knew a pastor in Lafayette at, right next to Northside High School and said, hey, I hear y'all are having race rides between the blacks and the whites. I got a, a brown spiritual son I'm going to send to you. He's not black. He's not white. He's a Mexican. I think he can bring them together. Now, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my life. But based upon that great wisdom, I showed up. Literally, God saw me preaching here today the first time I stepped foot in Northside High School at 19 years old. He saw my wife. He saw Joseph here opening up for me to preach. He saw Joseph doing that when he was dating half the girls in Acadiana. <laughs> People often ask me, how do we big a mega, build a mega church? I said, we kept Christian and Joseph's girlfriends when they broke up with him. <laughs> Listen to me. Why am I saying that? Because this is the practice. And we know that all things work together for good. So does God have a plan for our lives? Here's a, here's a better question answer to that. If you ever have a God question, why not ask God himself? So let's see what God himself says. In Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, this message is even in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans and not for to give you a and a help. When Jeremiah writes this, coming from God to the people of Israel, they are in bondage. Things aren't good for them. And he's trying to remind them that you're going to go through things that aren't good, but until it finishes, it, it might be bad now, but unless you're at the end and it's good, it's not done yet. It's not done yet. I know the plans I have for you. Then he says this, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, Paul went from being a Hebrew scholar to a Christian preacher to beaten three times and left for dead. He gives his life to Jesus and becomes this powerful preacher and spends half of his life in prison. I'm like, God, why did you take this guy who is so powerful, who can speak to anybody, who needs to be in front of everybody. And after you save him, he spends half of his life in prison. He could be helping people. How many of you read your Bible this week? How many of you read Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians? Look at me. He did help you today. 2,000 years later, when he was locked up in prison, God locked him up so he could write the books that everybody else could be blessed for for 2,000 years. So today, Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes this, for we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art. Created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above. That's born again, spiritually transformed and ready to be for good works which God prepared for us. When? Taking past which he set that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. 
That means that when you were born, attached to the umbilical cord was a plan. You know, we, we always wanted to have a little girl. People ask us, why, why did you have so many children? Do you love children? I said, no, I love Michelle. <laughs> but, but, but after that, we actually wanted a girl. The reason why Haddon is here, don't tell him. But, but we, we, we literally had four children. We, still, we thought first was going to be Maria. Jacob Jr. was not Maria. Christian came out and he was not Maria. Joseph came out and he dated a lot of Marias, but he was not Maria. Okay, Wesley, not Maria. Finally, this was the conversation we literally had. Me and Michelle talked and she goes, you think we're gonna have a fifth one? I said, baby, you're a fifth child, I'm a fifth child. Our fifth child has to be a girl. The fifth child came out and it was a big sign like this attached to the umbilical cord and it said, there is no girl in here. <laughs> and so God knew in advance that we needed a little girl and so there was a lady in our church, a grandmother, who kept bringing her little granddaughter to church. And one day, her mom happened to be there. She walks up to the front of the church. Michelle reaches down and hugs little four-and-a-half-year-old Amberly and says, I could eat her up and bring her home. Her grandmother brings her to church all the time. And her mama says, do you want her? I should have done this a long time ago, Miss Michelle. Amberly turns around and looks at her. She looks at me. She, I mean, she looks at Miss Michelle, and the story's over. God knew in advance, even in the difficult circumstances that she would be in, that her mama couldn't raise her, and that there was a family that was longing for a girl each time we waited, and a boy, a boy kept coming. He, he has a plan, and attached to that plan is a purpose. It's a purpose and a plan for you and me and what we're supposed to do with our lives. Not only to know God, but to make him known in the world that we live in. These verses that we read, listen to these passages, these words. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a path. He has good works. You see, God not only wants to give you a supernatural life, he wants to give you purpose and plans to go along with it. You can never forget, God doesn't have a life for your plan. Remember your plan? He has a plan for your life. And it's his. That's what Jeremiah 29 and Ephesians 2 keep telling us. So if God has a life and a purpose and a plan and good works that he's created in advance for us to do, to build and expand his kingdom through the lives that we live, who would like to stop that? Who would like to stop that answer okay it starts with the D he has horns you call your husband him sometimes who would like to stop that what would he use to stop it what does he use to stop it what does he use to stop it we all know people that you sat down and you talked to and they go hey Tell me about God, your relationship with God. I don't believe in God. Let me tell you what happened. And they begin to, on a whole tirade of why God disappointed them. They don't believe in him. What does the enemy want to stop? We're still. What happens if he stops us? Uh, I hate to use myself as an example because it's such a poor example. But what would have happened if my upbringing, my daddy being married five times, all of the tragedy that happened in my family, what if that would have, I would have said, I'm done. I'm running Mexican restaurants from now on for the rest of my life which is, by the way, the business I grew up in. That's what I would be doing. If I wasn't preaching, you would have Jacobos. <laughs> I, if I got to Louisiana, it would have been the Mexicoon. <laughs> Cajun food with the Mexican flair. Now you look back and see, but one day you'll be able to look back and see with every one of our lives 
what would be? Michelle loves to say, you never know what's on the other side of your obedience, but I got another question. What's on the other side of your disobedience? What happens? My kids were growing up, you know, they would look at me and, you know, they would say this at one time or another, all of them did. I hate going around everywhere I am. I'm Pastor Jacob's, Baker Jacob's son, Pastor Jacob's daughter. Just past, well, Amberly never said it, just the boy. Pastor Jacob's son. I'm just, I, I, everywhere I go, I'm just Pastor Jacob's son. Do you know the pressure that puts on me? And I would look at them and say, you could have had my daddy. I lied and told all my friends that my daddy worked for the CIA. He was posing at a waiter, as a waiter at a Mexican restaurant. That's a true story. You, you could have gone through four or five divorces. You could have had the police showing up at your house. You could have had the pain of your sisters getting pregnant 13, 14, and 15. Yeah, you could have had that. How about that, Daddy? And they look at, oh, Dad, you cool. <laughs> Shut up. Go to your room. You're still grounded. You ungrateful little. You see, God has a life and a purpose and a plan. But the enemy wants to stop us. He wants to stop us. What if he stops us? What if he stops us? You see, you think you got that promotion because of how smart you are. But you didn't know that the vice president of that company has a praying mother and grandmother. And they were praying that God would bring someone just like you. So God gave you favor to lift you up, to put you in a place you'd never be without him. So that you could use that influence to answer the prayer of that parent and grandparent that had been praying. You think, well, this just happened to me because, you know, it's just the way. No, no, no. God has been orchestrating circumstances and situations. And I've seen it happen time and time and time again. It's God. You think you got in your dream house because that's the neighborhood your wife always wanted to live in once you moved out of that you know, place where you lived before and now this is the place and you're so happy that you live there. You don't know God gave you that house because the people next door to you before the foundations of the earth are supposed to be influenced by you, led to Christ by you, discipled by you so that you can fulfill God's purposes. You're just thinking about the house. The job, the school. So today we begin a new series on the life of Abraham. Abraham's pretty significant. He's the most significant religious leader in the world. The Jews claim Abraham as the father of faith, of Judaism. Now, don't get confused. Jews, Hebrews, Hebrew is the language they speak. So, so oftentimes they're referred to as Hebrews or Jews, but it all goes back to Abraham. The Muslims claim Abraham. They claim Abraham. Michelle and I were just in Israel in the place where they believe that Abraham went and sacrificed Isaac. The Christians claim Abraham. So the three major religions of the world claim this man and five billion people follow him and look to him as a leader. So there's a lot of things that we're going to learn. So let's start by answering the obvious questions. Who was Abraham's father? Because something about Abraham has great significance in regard to his father. His name was Terah, T-E-R-A-H. Where was Abraham from? He was from a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern day Iraq and Iran. How did he become the father of faith and would lead his own personal family? God would come and he would speak to him and say in Genesis chapter 12, get up and go to a place I'm going to show you. I'm not going to give you directions. Just get up and go. And when you get there, I'll tell you you're there. And ever since then, men have never stopped and asked for directions. So here we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 11, because when Abraham got up and he followed, he ended up going to a place called the promised land. Say that promised land. Okay. That's an old Testament. Oh, axiom over and over promised land. But later we know that name is called Canaan. Say that Canaan. Guess what Canaan is today. Anybody know? Starts with an I. A lot of Jews are there. Where is it? It's Israel. Today, 
over 5,000 years later, Abraham's children are living in the land God promised him he would give. We, we don't even know what that is. We, we were discovered, the Indians were discovered in 1572, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. We're 500 years old. We're talking about over 5,000 years. God told him the land that you have thousands of years from now, this will be your children's land forever. So let's listen to the story as we read today. Genesis chapter 11, verse 26. When Terah was 70 years old, he had Abram. Now his name is going to change and I'm gonna tell you about that in a future message. He had Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Say that with me, Haran. Let's try that one more time, Haran. This is the story of Terah. Terah had Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran had a son named Lot. Haran died before his father, Terah, in the country of his family, Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor got married. Abram's wife was Sarah, and Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of his brother, Haran. You have to talk about that another day. Haran had two daughters, Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was barren and she had no children. And Terah took his son Abram and his wife and his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and Sarai's daughter-in-law and his son Abram's wife and set out from there to Ur, from Ur of the Chaldees. And he set out for the land of, where, did he, where was he going? This is, this is Abram's father, Terry. He's going to Canaan. But when he got as far as Haran, they settled down there and Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. From Ur of the Chaldees to Haran is 600 miles, but he was still 400 miles away from Canaan. Why did Abram's father, Terah, stop before getting to Canaan? If that's where it was in his heart to go to. Where did he stop? Maybe that'll tell us a little bit about why he stopped. Genesis chapter 11, verse 28 says, And Haran died before his father, Terah, in the native land of Ur of the Chaldees. He stopped in Haran. Do you see it yet? The place he stopped, Haran, is named after his son who died prematurely. Did he name this place that after his son? It's possible that the loss of his son kept him from completing the plan that God had placed in his heart. He stopped at the place of his painful loss. What effect does loss and pain and disappointment have on us? How does the enemy attempt to cause us to interpret pain in our lives? Michelle and I went to an amazing grief counselor in Bernie, Texas, right outside San Antonio. And uh, he told us a story when, when, when we talked with him that was a picture that I will never forget. He said a few years ago, there's a lady in our community who had a daughter who on her prom night was with some people that were partying. It was in a tragic accident and the daughter was killed. The main city uh, street has a cemetery there. And every day for 365 days, she pulled a lawn chair and sat next to her daughter's tombstone. Cold, hot, dry, wet. She stayed there through that entire time, never moving beyond her child's passing. I, I've been a pastor a long time, and I can tell you, I've seen a lot of people who had tragedy happen to their life, and when tragedy comes, they don't know what to do, and they stop right there and never move on. What does the enemy want to do in those moments? He wants to rob your confidence in God and your confidence in yourself. I never thought I'd get divorced. I never thought my child would do that. 
I never thought my business would fail. I never thought I'd lose my job. I never thought I'd get this diagnosis. I never thought. The enemy loves to use pain and disappointment and loss to rob us of our confidence in God and in his promises. But God uses pain to cause us to be utterly dependent upon him. I'm going to say that again. God uses pain to cause us to be utterly dependent upon him. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in our pleasure, but he screams in our pain. When you see someone walking through pain, God is screaming at them. God is screaming at them. The enemy uses despair, destruction, and discouragement to get us to question God's plan. I, I, I must not be in the plan of God to question God's path. I must not be walking the right way to question God's presence. If you were with me, God, I, I didn't think this ever would happen to me. I, I thought that when I was a Christian that I walked under an umbrella and like nothing bad could ever happen to me. The devil loves to use pain to get you to question God himself, if you really were God, if you really were loving, if you really were real, this wouldn't have happened to me. I want to answer a question that we all think about often when we go through painful things or we see other people going through pain. I've never spoken to an atheist that didn't ask this question. If there really was a God, pastor, if there really was a God, why would there be so much pain in the world? Why would there be so much injustice in the world? Why would there be abuse and murder and all of the injustices of the world? Why would there be that? And I always answer and say, it's very simple. God could remove all evil from the world. How many of you would like God to remove all evil from the world? Raise your hand high. I want to see your hand. Because in order to do that, all he has to do is remove every sinner and everyone that's ever done evil or capable of evil from the world. There's one question. Where would you be at the end of that? But I got good news. There will be a day when all evil will be removed from the world and we will have a new heaven and a new earth and it will be what God intended it to be from the beginning. But we're not there yet. Listen to Solomon in his great wisdom, the son of David, who, who writes this about confidence. Listen to what he says. Proverbs 21, 22. As a wise man scaleth, what? The city of the mighty. He's talking about scaling walls. Talk about walls being climbed. As a wise man scaleth the city of the mighty and cast down the, and the confidence thereof. Well, what do you mean, Pastor. Why does scaling a wall cause the mighty to lose their confidence? Because walls weren't meant to be scaled. They were meant to protect. And when the unexpected happens to you, even the mighty lose their confidence. Even the strong are weak. So what do we do when we walk through pain and discouragement and difficulty and loss so that we don't stop in Haran. Pastor, why should I not stop when I've been hurt, disappointed, gone through brokenness? Look right here. Look right here. I want every mom and daddy to look at me. I don't care if you're here and you're not a committed Christian, if you just fear God or respect God or don't even believe in God. I can tell you the dream of every parent that's here right now is to give your children better than you had. That's the dream of every parent, Christian or non-Christian. But look at me. Why wouldn't you defeat the giant of alcoholism? Why wouldn't you defeat the giant of addiction? Why wouldn't you de defeat the giant of depression? Why wouldn't you defeat the giant of immorality? Why would you just only go halfway and leave your children to try to fight a giant that you were unwilling to deal with in your life because of your family? I know what it is to defeat the giant of addiction in my family. I know what it is to break the, the, the generational ties of immorality that go back for generations in my family. My children will never know the blessing they walk in because of the sacrifices of obedience that Michelle and I have made. And the worst part is, look right here, mom and dad. There's nothing worse than watching your own sin repeated in the life of your children. 
There's nothing worse than seeing your pride in your kids. Than seeing your sin that you refuse to deal with repeated in your children and in your grandchildren. Is this okay? So pastor, what, what do we do? What do we do with, with, with our pain? What do we do to keep us from stopping in Haran? What do we do when the unexpected happens to us and you're paralyzed? You don't want to move any further. You want to be in that lawn chair, sitting by your loss and allowing that to define you and to keep you. Let me ask a question. How many of you have gone through some things that you never thought would happen to you before? Raise your hand. Okay, Those of you that haven't, Don't worry, it will come knocking at your door too. It won't come knocking at your door as a punishment. It will come knocking at your door as an opportunity of utter dependence upon God. Utter dependence upon God. So what are, what are the three practical steps? I want to give you three real practical steps. Number one, get back to the presence of God. Get back to the presence of of God. What do you mean, Pastor? Proverbs 16, 11, Psalm 16, 11 says this, because of you, David says, I know the path of, I tasted the fullness of in your presence and at your right hand aside, I experienced divine, what? Pleasure forevermore. When I'm discouraged, when I'm depressed, I mean, first of all, I'm going to speak to the ladies a minute. Ladies got to talk to somebody. You're going to be telling somebody. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you. You know, you talk to your little girlfriend. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what my husband did and the way he talked to me and what he said. And let me tell you something. And you know what your girlfriend says? Boy, your girl, you're right. That's why I left my first husband. Okay, let me help you. Don't talk to an alcoholic about how to get free from drinking. Many, many years ago, this is a true story. What I'm telling you is true. How many of you remember the book, Women Are From Venus and Men Are From Mars? And everybody's from outer space. How many remember that one? Okay. The man who wrote that book had been married two times when he wrote the book. And the woman he married was named Barbara DeAngelis, and she'd been married seven times. And they were doing marriage seminars and charging people thousands of dollars. And someone was wise enough to ask her the obvious question, which is, can I ask you a question? If you've been married seven times, what makes you an expert to teach others about marriage? And here's what she said. It's a true story. This guy quote verbatim. She said this. She said, well, if you wanted to learn how to make a cake, would you ask someone who made it right the first time? Or would you ask someone who failed six times, and on the seventh time, finally got it right. Okay, let me ask, is there anybody here with any medical background, like doctors, nurses, or maybe you clean teeth for a living, just something to do with medical. You wear something white on you. Okay, look right here. That would be great if marriage was making a cake. But marriage isn't making a cake or baking a cake. Marriage is open heart surgery. So let me ask you this question. If you were going to have open heart surgery, would you want a surgeon that lost the six previous people <laughs> in surgery and hope that you were the seventh that made it? The person who seeks advice from someone who in that area of their life is a fool is more of a fool for asking them. You may clap. Okay, so for, for you and me, here's the difference. And I want you to get this. Because I hear people say this all the time. Men, okay, they hold it all in. Women just go and they go, let me tell you something, girlfriend. Let me tell you. And you tell your coworker and you tell the girl next door and you're at the market and somebody's looking for peace too. And you go, are you looking for peace because your husband's a jerk? <laughs> well, I, that's why all of it, okay, you go through all of that. 
Right? Then men, they hold it in. Men are like, frustrated my wife. <laughs> Walk in, slam their keys on the counter when they get to work. And What's wrong? Nothing. Does nothing usually bother you that much? <laughs> okay, they're holding it in. They're holding it in. And they think by, women think by telling somebody they're going to feel better about it. Men think by holding it in, it's going to get better. Now watch this. Let's suppose that the woman was called, talking to God. Let's, let's suppose y'all just came and you sat down, Pastor Jacob, and you're going to get godly counsel. Okay, and I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And I will. Look at me. The best I can do is give you God's word and what God says about your situation. That's the best I can do. But can I tell you what can really change things? If you will get down on your face before the living God and you will cry out to him because what he gives you is his presence. What he gives you is his peace. What he gives you is his purpose. What he gives you is a restoration of all that he intended for you to do in the beginning. He's the only one that when you get up from there, he's the only one that you find joy and peace and life evermore. He's the only one. In his presence is fullness of joy. Not Pastor Jacob's. In his presence is life evermore. Now watch this. You say, well, pastor, I, I tried that one time and I prayed for 10 minutes and it didn't work. <laughs> you watched the Saints game for two and a half hours and it didn't work. <laughs> All last season. Look at me. But I, I prayed for an hour and it didn't work. You waited for your ugly cousin from Bro Bridge for an hour at your house and they didn't show up. And you still have a relationship with him. And if you're from Bro Bridge, you're not the cousin I'm talking about. It's the other one. Look at me. But if you will get on your face before the living God and cry out to him, the Bible says that he is looking for people. You know who he's looking for? Those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And when he finds somebody who's looking for him in spirit and in truth, he shows up every time. He shows up every time. Get into the presence of God. Come on, say that. Get back into the, get into the presence of God. Shut the door. Get on your face and cry out to God. Cry out to God. Here's the second thing. Go back to the promises of God. The promises that God gave you. Do, do you know, how many got a checkbook? Raise your hand. Wow. How many got a credit card or a debit card? Raise your hand. How many wish you didn't have a credit card or debit card? Raise your hand. Then get a checkbook. <laughs> you know what a check is when you write it? It's just a promise. It's just a promise. That's all it is. It's a promise. It's got to be cashed. The promises of God are yes and amen. And they have a clock on them. Look at me. I don't know why the clock is not tomorrow. I don't know why the clock is not next month. I don't know why the clock is not next year. Look at me. I, I don't know why the clock for one of my children has been 15 years. But I do know this. The promises of God are yes and amen. They're true. They're a promise that's always going to come to pass. And I say this to parents. Look at me, parents. I've seen so many parents when they go through difficulties with their children and go through difficulties in their marriage and, and, and they, they look and... Stand right here a minute, baby. Come stand right here. Give me your hand. And I tell them, the enemy's not after your child. He's after this. Because if he can break this, look at me. As long as we do this, holding on to this, my children always have something to come back to. But if I let go of this 
and I let go of this, there's nothing for my kids to even come back to. We have lost the child. We've cried thousands of tears with this church packed out and thousands of people coming and crying with us. And they could cry with us, but only one person could give us what we needed. He's with me. He's in peace. You will meet again. In my presence is fullness of joy and life evermore. And the promise of God is just as true for Wesley as it is for Joseph who's standing up here and Christian who's preaching and Amberly who's working here and Haddon who's preaching in Kentucky. It's still yes and amen. Paul writes and listen to what he says in Hebrews 10, 35. Therefore, do not cast away your, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive what? The promise. This is God's check, his down payment. And it will be paid in full. It will be paid in full. Here's the third thing. And finally, as I close. Get back to God's plan for your life. It it doesn't matter how off track you went. God knew you were going to go off track. It doesn't matter how you wavered in the decisions you made in the process. God knew you were going to make those decisions. Remember, the enemy's plan is to stop you. To get you in that lawn chair. Looking at your pain and never moving forward to Canaan, stopping in Haran. Listen to what John 10.10 says. The thief does not come except to and to and to but I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Look, he does three things when he comes. The first one is, the second one is, and the third one is Some of you walk through life, you've walked through difficulties, you've walked through a tough relationship that you're in right now, and you're just hardened, and you're going, Pastor, let me tell you something. I stood, I stood, and the devil's not going to take my marriage, he's not going to take my home, I'm just going to stand right here. I mean as hell, but I'm still staying in my marriage. Look at me. God didn't give you the relationship with him and with the person you're married to so that you could survive. He gave it to you to thrive. Look at me, look at me. I was counseling precious young, beautiful girl and her husband that were here earlier about doing marriage counsel. I'm doing marriage counsel with them. And she sat across from me the other day and she said, her husband right beside her, he said, Pastor Jacob, you, you need to show me I like to, to, to follow a man because to submit because I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to do what my mama did. I said, what'd your mama do? She goes, my mama loves God. My mama was in church. My mama paid the bills. My mama worked. My mama cleaned the house. My mama did everything. And my daddy, he claimed to be a Christian. All he did was go to church and hunt and fish and just take care of himself. He's just selfish. That's all he did. So you have to show me how because I'm not going to do what my mama did. I can tell you that right now. And I looked at her, and it was like a light came on from God. And I looked at her, and I said, do you know why you're sitting across from a pastor talking about your marriage right now? And not in front of a psychologist or a psychiatrist who wouldn't know God from Sikkim? of the faith of your mama. 
You're sitting here saying that you're not going to. God took care of your mama through you. God blessed your mama through you. And you're sitting here talking about everything you're not going to do because of what your mama did. How about doing what your mama did? She still had joy. She still had peace. And your daddy was still miserable, but that was on him. She has fullness of joy from God's presence, not from his. Pastor Jacob, you don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. But I'll tell you this. I know what it is to sit and watch a woman suffer for three and a half years. And just be glad that she made it to that point. And to know that she was not my source. He is. He is. He is. He is. He is. Look at me, church. There are too many people in this church that are looking to your mate from what can only come from God. Michelle is an amazing, phenomenal wife. She is a terrible God. I am a great husband, but I'm a terrible God. A terrible God. Get back to God's plan for your life because some of the things that the enemy sent to you were not to kill you and not to destroy you. They were to steal something from you. To steal your confidence, to steal your hope in the promises of God, to steal your peace. Today, God promised me He was going to do heart surgery. That He was going to come. He was going to come to heirs of your life where there's great disappointment and loss. And that if you would trust him, he would come in and do something you've so desperately longed for. You've knocked at counselor's door, people's doors, friends, but it's only when you knock at his door and wait that he comes. Would you bow your head with me right now? I want every person that will, I want you to put your hands on your lap and I want you to close your fist, just clench your fist. What does that represent? It represents all of Haran that I've held on to. It represents every place in my life I've put out a lawn chair and sat next to the loss of something. Holy Spirit, come. Do what only you can do. I want everyone to pray softly with me. Lord Jesus, I don't want to stop in Haran. I don't want the enemy's plan and the pain I've walked through to keep me from your purpose and your plan. I want to go to Canaan. Today, in the mighty name of Jesus, all the disappointment and discouragement and pain in my past and even currently I let it go now open up your hands I let it go now Holy Spirit come right now come right now breathe on your children Lord let your presence come let it come now let it come now let it come now Spirit is speaking to many people. Let it go. Let it go. Fold up that lawn chair. Let it go. Don't die in Haran. Let it go. Let it go. Let them go. Let that go. That abuse, that hurt, that pain. Let it go. 
Jesus, the only one who truly understands all the pain we've walked through is you, only you, only you. And that's who we release this to. Just take a deep breath right now. Release it. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, the only way you can ever truly know God is to be spiritually alive, and that happens the moment you're born again. You say, well, Pastor, I I saw people baptized today. Isn't that good enough? That happens after you're born again. The moment you're born again, Christ comes and raises you from the spiritually dead, and you become brand new. Your sins are forgiven. Christ lives inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you become a new creation. You say, Pastor, how can I do that today? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer, and he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. So I'm going to count to three, and if on the count of three you say, Pastor, I've never prayed to be born again. I want to know God. I want to be spiritually alive. I don't want to allow the pain of my past to stop me where I am. I want God's plan, not mine. I've never been born again. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and I'm going to just pray for you right at your seat, right where you are. You're going to do this right at your seat. I'm the only one looking. One, God brought you here. God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident, nothing. Everything happened in your life. God is used leading you to this moment. It's your time to become spiritually alive and born again. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. I'm going to pray for you. Yes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Anywhere else? Fifteen. All right. Sixteen. All right. Seventeen. You could put your hands down. Last ten seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these sixteen, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I know God is talking to me. I don't want to, I don't want this to pass. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Raise it up high this last 10 seconds and wave it at me and join these 16. Join these 16. 17. I see that. 18. Yes, sir. 19. Yes. All right. Now, church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raise their hand to be born again. Would you pray out loud with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.